From the four corners of Southern California, this is the hot seat, and you're in it with me, Max Schwartz. It starts right now. Today on the phone, I have the chairman of the Los Angeles County Democratic Party, Eric Bauman. How are you, Chairman Bauman? Thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to call in this Friday afternoon. Max, I'm just delighted to be with you guys and uh, help shed some light on uh, interesting things that we're all facing. That's fantastic, and we're happy to have you. Before we get started, I would like to make a correction to a figure I have used in previous episodes of The Hot Seat. The number of states that are having the federal government run their exchanges is 36 and not 34. I apologize for my error. In addition, I would also like to let everyone know that the Heritage Foundation said they could not come on The Hot Seat at the present time. So without further ado, we have a loaded show. Let's get started. So given the fact that Los Angeles is one of the more liberal counties in the country, how easy or difficult is it to be the chairman of the Los Angeles County Democratic Party? Uh, it's a great place to be the chairman of the party, but easy it's not. We are the largest jurisdiction of Democrats anywhere in the country, 2.4 million Democrats and growing. And because there are so many um, uh, local jurisdictions in Los Angeles County, it is... Um, it is an incredibly uh, taxing job. Most people don't realize there are actually 88 cities in the county of Los Angeles and over 120 school and college boards and another 30 or 40 special districts and water districts. Wow. So um, we are in an endless election cycle that never ends. So how do you work with the local Democratic parties, the city ones? You mean the Democratic clubs? Yes, the clubs, excuse me. So, uh, of course, what... Starting point is is that they we charter them. They get their, if you will, their license to do business from us. Um, we enable them to participate in our meetings. Their president or a representative is a member, uh, what we call an associate member of the LA County Democratic Party. They attend all of our meetings. They can participate in our various committees and such. And um, it really uh, works out well for those clubs that choose to. Um, you know, to really take advantage of it. When it comes time to the big campaigns um, where we are helping uh, stage the big get-out-the-vote efforts and the campaign headquarters that you'll see all around the county and such, we work with the clubs to make sure that they are participate participants in those campaign headquarters, that they are uh, uh, at least in part responsible for the direction and management of those campaign headquarters um, because they're in their neighborhoods, right? Those, most of those, most Democratic clubs, most are are geographically based. We have a few that are issue or identity based, mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, they're neighborhood based. So if you're going to open up a campaign headquarters in East Los Angeles, for example, of course you would include the East LA Democrats in making it work. As we yeah. look to hire people, as we look to uh, get volunteers, as we look to figure out what um, uh, things to include in the working of that campaign, we look to those local activists and local leaders to be part of it. Okay. And speaking about the county as a whole, Jonathan Wilcox of the Los Angeles County Republican, or the Republican Party of Los Angeles County, who was on two weeks ago, doesn't necessarily believe that L.A. is the, more, is the most liberal county in the country, or one of the most. Would you agree or disagree with that statement? Well, first of all, I think that the Republican Party in Los Angeles County and its leadership kind of live in fantasy land. Um, there are 2.4 million Democrats. There are 900,000 Republicans. Um, now, there are parts of Los Angeles County that represent every, if you will, every part of California and every part of the country. Mm -hmm. And what I mean is that there are 
still parts of L.A. County that are very white, very conservative, uh, uh, where where most of the most or all of the local elected officials are Republican, and there are parts of L.A. County that are 85 or 90 percent immigrant, where they are 85 percent Democrat, and where there's nobody that's not a Democrat that doesn't get elected. Mm-hmm. Um, but truth be told, L.A. is overwhelmingly a Democratic county. Well, would you say it's one of the most liberal counties in the country? I would say it, it is. It is amongst the most liberal Democratic counties in the country. Now, to be sure, remember that a large percentage of the uh, Democratic population in Los Angeles are minorities mm-hmm. who tend not always to be quite as liberal on certain kinds of issues as others. So, you know, it's very hard to just make a definition and say, oh, well, you know, is it liberal? Is it not? Um, you know, Proposition 8 failed in Los Angeles County, yeah. although there were parts of L.A. that had passed. Um, yet at the same time, the voters of the city of Los Angeles voted, you know, this year to rein in um, how many medical marijuana dispensaries they had. And when given the choice of taking no action uh, or shutting them all down or two options in the middle, they went for a modest option that enabled uh, uh, there to be, you know, roughly 130 or 140 dispensaries throughout the entire county. Um, it kind of speaks to, I'm sorry, throughout the entire city. It kind of speaks to, um, you know, the fact that people in L.A. are very practical on some issues while they tend to be very socially liberal, and there are a fair number of people who um, are fiscally more moderate. That's very true, and a lot of people opposed the proposition to label genetically modified organisms, but that's a different conversation in and of itself. I want to stick on definitions, though, for just one second, and given and for your party, would you say in the ideological spectrum, are you just left of center, are you more radical in the middle? Me personally? Or the party, I should say. Oh, I would say the party is, the party is generally speaking, somewhere between liberal and progressive. Okay. Um, you know, look, we, we uh, although you know th- these terms, th- these terms um, uh, have varying meaning. But I will say this: um, probably the vast majority of Democrats in Los Angeles would have preferred a uh, single payer option in health care reform. But overwhelmingly, everybody supports the Affordable Care Act, or as it's known here, California Care. President Obama's Obamacare, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, the vast majority of Democrats in this county um, uh, support increasing the minimum wage and ensuring that working men and women have decent benefits and decent retirement. The vast majority of Democrats in the county of L.A. support a woman's right to make her own reproductive health care choices and support the right of same-sex couples to um, have their, their marriages legally recognized. Um, I think that, you know, is all pretty progressive. On the other hand, there's lots of Democrats in this county who think that we shouldn't overtax businesses to the point where they don't create and maintain jobs. Um, And I think that's something that most people, um, you know, share at least in concept because you you have to have a balance between um, having the resources to do the good work that you believe the government should be able to do and at the same time ensuring that people can work in decent jobs and pay good taxes, <laughs> you know? So you have to, you have to f- 
find your way. That's very true. And speaking of being able, of the government doing, being able to do what it what it needs to do, part of that is through elections. And we have seen a general apathy in, I guess, the country as a whole amongst young people and against and against people in general, especially in non presidential elections when it comes to voting, because the poll numbers are the percentage of voters who are actually voting is so low. What is your What is your party doing to raise awareness and to get people to the polls? Well. Let me just step you back for a second, because you just accepted certain things as fact that I'm not sure are exactly fact. It is true that a presidential election always draws the largest turnout, um, not just here in California, but all across the country. Mm -hmm. It is the most exciting election that people get to participate in, and that's why you get participation rates north of 75-80%. And it is true that local elections tend to draw the lowest election rates because people just don't engage as much as there's not as much attention in the media and it's not as much concern there is this myth that young people don't participate and young people once you engage them and make it easy for them to register to vote Mm -hmm. do participate and they are changing politics in america that's very true but i think that as speaking as a young person myself and especially when i was in high school most a lot of my high school friends didn't vote and a lot of people I know, I know today that there are a lot of people in high school who can vote but don't. Well, th- th- that may be true, but I want to point out that in 2008 when Barack Obama was elected, everybody said it was the highest turnout of young voters ever. And as we led into the 2012 election, everybody said young people were not going to turn out for Barack Obama. They were, they were disillusioned. They were this. They were that. And in fact, more young voters turned out in 2012 than did in 20 in 2008. It's a, it's about engaging and talking to young voters and talking to them about things that matter to them in a way that matters to them, and also it is about enabling their participation in the in in, in the way they're used to participating. So, for example, when we when we enabled online voter registration last year. Mm-hmm. We mean the state of California. Day, we in California, uh, for the for the last thirty days of the voter registration period, you saw voter registration skyrocket. Seventy percent of all of those new registrants registered as Democrats, and lo and behold, almost seventy percent of them were under were thirty or under. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because your generation mm-hmm. grew up with a computer, you know, from from birth. Yeah, with techn- with n- new technology. They were not used to, you know, they, 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 you did not, your generation did not grow up filling out, hand-filled out government forms line after line after line. But to go to a website and, you know, key in your your name and address and phone number and social security number, you know, that's, that is, um, you know, just normal to you. That and also... Social media, we've grown up with it, so we, we're taking advantage of it. But what is your party specifically doing to engage the youth? Well, I can tell you that my director of new media and I have, have for years stayed atop of the social media trend. And when you look at the number of followers that we have on Twitter, the number of people who like our Facebook page, the tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of people who are on our email list, the number of hits we get on our website, it is, it is a starting point in which we contact and connect with people who are young. Additionally, um, I am one of the – L.A. is one of the few counties in California where the young Democrat – 
chapters and clubs actually also charter with the L.A. party, uh, mm-hmm. with, the, with the county party. Uh, in, in most places in California and most places around the country, young Democrat clubs and chapters only charter through their young Dem organization. We actually have them charter with us so that they can participate in our decision-making, in our meetings, in all the work that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I have made sure that we have not one but two of our seven countywide officers are under the age of 30. Okay. Um, so, so it's all about engagement. And quite frankly, we design specific programs that are specifically meant to drive young voters. So, for example, our vote-by-mail program, which in 2010 won the top vote-by-mail program in the United States of America. Explain what that a, means for people what, that don't know. Say again? Explain what that means for people that don't know and how do so, you win so, that category. So just like you have the Academy Awards and you have the Emmy Awards, in politics there's what are called the Polly Awards. And every year the American Association of Political Consultants gives awards for every category of thing that goes on in politics, from television commercials to mail pieces to voter registration campaigns and the like. We, um, we put together a very snappy, very edgy uh, campaign in 2010, which we used again in 2012, called "Where Do You Do It," and it was cartoon. It was a cartoon mail piece drawn by a cartoonist who worked for Marvel Comics, okay. who will remain unnamed, and featured two pairs of legs sticking out under a set of covers on a bed, and it says, "Where do you do it?" And when you open it up, are a series of cartoon panels that show the difference between the young person who's registered to vote by mail and the young person who's not. And it shows them standing in line, sweating bullets, trying to get in and vote versus laying on their couch and their ballot flowing out of their hands and into a mailbox. But it's it's that kind of edgy piece of mail that when somebody young sees it, they grab it and pick it up. Mm -hmm. And it relates to them. And it relates to them. We did our baseball card series in 2010 where we did for the entire Democratic um, uh, statewide team, uh, governor, lieutenant governor, etc., we did a series of baseball cards. And they looked just like regular baseball cards, except, of course, on the back was their political score. And we produced um, 150,000 packets of these, which were distributed on college campuses uh, to the Young Democrat Clubs and to other gatherings of young voters and in other forums all around the state as another means of reaching out and interesting young voters in our ticket. Is that something you're going to do for the congressional midterm elections? Um, we're still figuring out what we're going to do this year. One has to have the resources. One has to, you know, have have the support. But you can bet we will have special programs that are designed for young voters. Because here's the thing: mm-hmm. when you look at the distribution of voters, mm-hmm. more than 85 percent of African Americans vote Democrat. More than 70 percent of Latinos vote Democrat. More than 70% of gays and lesbians vote Democrat. More than 75% of young people under the age of 30 vote Democrat. Okay. Those are the people who help us elect Democrats. So we have to talk to them. We have to constantly be in communication. We have to let them know what's important that's on the ballot. Um, Do you have specific material designated to the certain groups? We create materials and messaging that we deliver in different ways to different kinds of voters. Yes, absolutely. And we deliver that through uh, uh, 
through social media, through new media, through traditional mail, through online video. Um, we, we use a broad variety of uh, methods to reach out to those voters. And the programs that we run in L.A. often get exported from L.A. Um, around the state, and sometimes they get picked up. Um, okay. Fifteen years ago, I designed a program called um, Vote Naked, Vote by Mail. That was the first attempt that I did at a vote by mail program. That ended up being picked up nationally, stolen from me, but um, picked okay. up nationally, and it was a great program for young people. Why? It sounded edgy. It caught people's attention, and that's um, – you know that's that's everything that relates came together and i know you could talk about this for a very long time but because we only have a we only our time is running short i want to get into the issues now and one thing i want to ask and to start off with is do your members believe the dysfunction in congress can be fixed and do they believe that democrats can win the house well first of all our members believe the dysfunction in congress can be fixed if we would oust john boehner and the republicans from the majority and put nancy pelosi back in as as the speaker mm -hmm. because the problem is there are lots of good laws and lots of good concepts that have come out of the senate and that have been proposed by the president but boehner won't even bring them up on the floor of the house they're yeah. not interested in negotiation they hold every uh, progressive idea hostage refusing to bring it up and the only time they bring anything up is when um, they're in deep trouble. Do you th is does your party realistically believe that the Democrats can win the 17 seats necessary to win back the House? Well, I'll tell you what. If you asked me that question six weeks ago, I would have said it is an extraordinarily tough road to hoe. We would have to run the hat trick not once but multiple times. Mm -hmm. But the government shutdown made people so angry. Mm -hmm. and dropped Republican approval rating even in Republican districts mm -hmm. so much that you see, for the first time, um, you start to see people saying it is possible, that running the table is possible, that, that the Republicans so badly damaged themselves with their, with their obsequiousness and their, and their willingness to shut the government down and punish the people just to make a political point and try to stop President Obama from having a success. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why they have an approval rating of 14 percent. Well, the Democrats ran the table in 08 and won both chambers and won the presidency. Yes, and they didn't use it to full advantage. As an impartial uh, podcast host, I am not going to comment on that. But I, I will say that it, there, and that to remind our viewers that there is about a one million vote spread. The House is severely gerrymandered, and so you, you're saying that you believe the Democrats can overcome that because of the government shutdown. I believe we are positioned if we play our cards right, if we continue to recruit the high quality candidates that have started to come out, if we continue to take the fight right back to the American people in those districts that are Republican but are rational Republican and point out the difference between what having the Tea Party running America and what having rational people running America, what a difference it makes. Yes, I think we can. Okay. You know, today, today, five billion dollars worth of food stamp food stamp funding was cut that mm -hmm. means that 50 million people lost their supplemental nutritional assistance that means because the republicans are so gung-ho on cutting a program that is less than two percent of the entire federal budget mm -hmm. people are going to starve children are going to go to bed hungry old 
people are going to get sicker. And you know what? They're not cutting the osprey that the military says it doesn't want. Yeah. There is, a, and that is a legitimate problem where the tank, the tanks keep coming into the military when they don't need them. But I will say that on that note, the Office of Management and Bu- Budget, uh, put for, which is part of the Executive Office of the President, released a report earlier in the week and saying that the re- budget deficit has ha- did reduce and it's reducing at the greatest rate in a very long time. And speaking but of, that's because, but that's because of the sequester. I mean, it, it, in part because the economy has improved, mm-hmm. and in part because of the sequester. When President Bill Clinton was president, and we had a terrible deficit, you know what? He stood up and he said, "Look, give us the revenue we need. We'll right side the government." The government ended up when he left office with the largest surplus it had seen in over seventy years, mm-hmm. and the best economy we had had in generations. Mm-hmm. And it took it took the Republicans not very long after he left office to destroy that. And this president is still digging the way out. Mm-hmm. And I want to you go. I, you mentioned earlier about rational Republicans versus not rational Republicans. And I want to use that to segue into the Virginia gubernatorial race. And I want to ask you, as a as the head of the party, what do you think happened to Terry McAuliffe to put him in such a tight race when he was up by double digit points not too long ago? You know, this is a farcical conversation. Let, let, let's realize that there hasn't been a single poll in which Terry McAuliffe hasn't led. And that if you look at the real clear politics average, he's never been up less than five or six points. There have been two polls that show it close, and that is because at the last minute the Republicans are getting freaked to realize that they're about to elect Terry McAuliffe as governor. But I bet you next week at this time... Cuccinelli and his his hard, hard extremist right-wing positions, uh, including mandatory vaginal penetration of women for ultrasound before abortion, mm-hmm. I think he's going to be uh, left in the dust heap of history. Well, it will be certainly interesting to see. And he, I've seen polls where he's been up by larger margins than what you said, but recently he's been down to about three points, which... Right. There, look, within, within four, five days of each other, the polls have spanned a gap from as low as three points where he was ahead to as much as 12 points that he's been ahead. Um, and there was a very interesting analysis just done of this, and it really has to do ultimately with how you distribute the electorate, how you assume what the electorate is going to be who votes or who's in your sample. There's no other explanation for it. Mm-hmm. No, but what do you what do you? Th- I guess my que- ultimate question is, what do you think happened that it ranges so close? Is it because you said the Republicans are realizing that they're about to elect a Democrat? Well, f- first of all, I'm not sure it really ranges so close mm-hmm. because the Washington Post poll that came out this week had him up by double digits this week, taken during the same time period as the Quinnipiac poll, which had him up only four points. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's so a big discrepancy. that a poll is a snapshot in time, but it's a snapshot only of who gets measured. Yeah. That said, um, look, people always return to their part, to their home party at the end, and the libertarian candidate is the, is the linchpin in this. The libertarian candidate has been as low as 6% and as high as 12%. So as voters... Who, who would move away from the libertarian candidate go, they're going to vote for who? They're going to vote for the Republican, mm-hmm. not for the Democrat. So that's where you see the, the, the margin fluctuation, mostly. Okay. And I, wa- I want to move now to a different topic, and that is the NSA. 
and this has been a hot topic, especially recently, as more documents are being released. And one a, a pattern I've noticed is generally people that are out of government are against what the NSA is doing, while people in government are more or less for it, except we saw Dianne Feinstein, who's chairman of the Intelligence Committee, was very upset about what was happening with Angela Merkel. But where does your party stand in terms of the and what the NSA is doing? Are they for the extent to which they're going in and tapping wires and hacking? Well, look, the Democrats as a rule don't favor Big Brother. And just because this is being done by by a government agency under a Democratic president doesn't change the fact that most Democrats think that Big Brother should stay the hell out of our computers and out of our cell phones and out of our lives. Um, I, I think most rational Democrats understand that in the dangerous world in which we live, there has to be uh, there has to be um, uh, appropriate protective actions and measures taken to keep us safe. But um, you know, S Edward Snowden caused the release of a lot of information that uh, you know many argue is is very hurtful to our nation. But what it did was it woke a lot of people up, both on the left and on the libertarian side, to say, "Wait a minute, you know what is going on here? This spying that began on the neocon watch has you know continued and expanded, and it's unfortunate." Um, that that is the case because it, it you know it, it takes away your freedoms and liberties and um, I would say that many Democrats agree with many libertarians on that issue as a political veteran yourself and speaking personally if you don't mind do you honestly believe Obama was not aware to the extent at which the NSA was spying you know I find it hard to imagine that um, they would have something that is so visible and public and say he wasn't aware if it was documentable that he was aware. Um, one would have to think that knowing the way the spy agencies supposedly work, that they provide the least amount of information possible. And frankly, I mean, there's something to be said for, you know, unawareness of this. I, I, I tend to believe what the president says, and I would hope that he would be telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not in Washington in the White House. I don't really know the answer. Okay. And I've got one more question for you before we run out of time, and that is on the Affordable Care Act. In, in California, Covered California has done well compared to the national website. But what, is, what does your party think of all the computer glitches, both in the state level and at the federal level? <laughs> you know, as somebody who whose first computer had one five-and-a-quarter-inch floppy disk drive and no hard drive. I kind of have watched as the information age has exploded and our management of information and data uh, and our ability to interact by way of computers has grown and taken on such a critical role in our lives. Um, to see such a – to see such difficulties um, with these – with these online websites tells me that you know a lot more work should have been done before they went public. The timelines may have been too strong. People probably didn't want to, uh, you know, have to back ha have to back away from the stated dates. But here's the reality: mm -hmm. Microsoft and Oracle and the best brains in America are helping the White House and and the the, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid fix that healthcare.gov website. And see, the Republicans would rather use the failures of the computer system as a way to bash
even though this system was one that was based on original Republican plans. That, that exactly is what they uh, implemented in Massachusetts that was supposed to lead a revolution across the country. But because it was done by a Democratic president and Democratic Congress, you know, they want to beat it down. Here's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Come January 1st, millions of people across America will have health care who have not had health care. Millions of children will get free immunizations. Women will get free examinations for breast cancer and uterine cancer, and men will get examinations for prostate cancer. This will be pro forma and part of every policy. There will no, be no more policies where you get a $5,000 deductible and, heaven forbid, you spend $100,000 a year on your chemotherapy drugs because they cut you off. That is all gone. And that's the reason the Republicans have fought so hard to make a mess of this thing and to try to shut it down, why they were willing to shut down the government. Because come January 1st, when this thing actually becomes live, because people will have these policies, now it's no longer a question of preventing Obamacare. Now it's a question of taking something away from the people. You know, if you have diabetes, if you have heart disease, if you have cancer, if you have AIDS, Mm -hmm. getting an insurance policy has been impossible because of your pre-existing condition, because no insurance company wants to spend the money to take care of you. Well, yes, it'll cost us a little bit of money, and yes, there are certainly some big bumps and hurdles that we have to go over. But by this time next year, think about the difference for anybody who has a condition. Think about the difference for young people who actually can get health care. Think about the difference for the peace of mind of seniors whose donut hole on the Medicare drug costs will be closed. This is something that Americans have wanted for years. And you know, from the very beginning, the Obama administration did not do a good job with the public relations on this. For, for a team that was so good in the campaign, they didn't do a great job in selling and promoting this from day one. Mm-hmm. But you know what? What will sell it will be when people have that insurance card in their wallet and they can go to the doctor. What will sell it is when a young woman who's pregnant actually has obstetrical coverage. Mm -hmm. That's what will sell it. And that's all expected to happen if plans are, if everything goes according to plan. So thank you for that. Thank you very much for that, Chairman Bauman, and thank you very much for joining me in the hot seat today. I appreciate you taking the time to spend this 30 minutes with us. The Hot Seat After Hour starts right now. You can reach, you can email me at the, Max, the Hot Seat with Max Schwartz at gmail.com or you can tweet me at Max Schwartz TV. You can also read and follow my blog at MaxSchwartzTV.blogspot.com. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time with Days of Fire author and New York Times Chief White House Correspondent Peter Baker.